Simple Beep, episode 46. One more thing. Hello, and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And as we record this episode, we are gearing up for a big Apple announcement. We're recording a couple days before the fall iPhone announcement in September of 2016. And so we thought it would be good to look back at a topic that deals directly with Apple's announcements. And one of the tropes that has gone throughout many of their announcements, which is the propensity to not just be able to announce a few products, but to always tack on one more. And similar to that, we always wind up having to come back and revisit one more thing from our previous episode. We do have a little bit of follow-up from last episode, which was on mice, all of the various mouse designs that Apple has created over the years. And this actually went in the show notes for last episode. I discovered it after we recorded, but before we posted the episode. So you can go back there and find it on the episode 45 page. And there's this great page called the Apple Mouse Collection, which is probably one of the best galleries that just has like great isolated like product shot or like museum shots of I think every single Apple mouse that we talked about uh, and presents them in a really nice single package. So head back to last episode and check out that link if you didn't already. But that's it for follow-up. Let's move on to the main topic of this episode. Uh, We've got about uh, somewhere around 30 one more things (laughs) to discuss. I think that people who follow Apple events particularly noticed this Like I said, it's a trope coming up in Apple presentations, especially in the Steve Jobs era, the Steve Note era, as it was often referred to. There's actually a Wikipedia article at Steve Note, which I am surprised that they've allowed that article name to persist since it's kind of a colloquial term for it and not anything really official. And one more thing actually redirects to a section of that article. And so it was something that Steve Jobs was prone to do in his presentation style is that there would be several things that were the focus of the event, and then there would be one more thing. And we were kind of surprised, or at least I was kind of surprised, to see just how many of these there were. But it makes sense that with over 30 of them in the span of about 15 years, we're going to cover from, I think, 1998 all the way up through Steve Jobs' death. Um and beyond, because this this has persisted. This is a bit of Apple culture now. Uh, there were lots of things. So we yeah, we have about 30 things uh, that were these special add-ons to Apple presentations. Ed mentioned the Wikipedia page for Steve Note, which does have a mostly complete list of these one more things. There are also nice compilation videos. Shout out to every Steve Jobs video on YouTube for <laughs> for supplying most of the links here. I mean, the further back in time you go, the poorer quality the video gets. And But that's okay. You can get a pretty good sense of how these products were presented, even if the slides are rather fuzzy. Yeah. I'm, at the risk of inviting a lot of follow-up, I'd like to say that what we've put together for this show is uh, is the most complete list of these one more things, borrowing from uh, a whole bunch of different sources. And to that point, we'd like to start with what a couple lists cite as the first instance of a one more thing or one last thing from Steve Jobs at the end of a presentation, even though he didn't quite say one more thing. 
we have this listed as number zero in our list. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's, it's the, the prelude. Yes. Uh, this comes from Macworld San Francisco in 1998. That's the event in the, the beginning of the year. Um, it was, a, it was an event that, uh, covered a couple of things. There is a retelling of this at the webpage storiesofapple.net because we were not able to find a recording of this. Uh, but anecdotally, Jobs wrapped up his presentation and then as he's walking off the stage says, oh yeah, we're profitable. And this is a very significant thing because this is Apple coming out of its, you know, almost decade long slump and uh, come, returning to profitability. Yeah. So not a one more thing per se, but it sets up that attitude of, you know, these are sort of burying the lead. It's like, oh, you know, this is perhaps the most important news for the company in several years. And it's just a flippant aside, because that's the way that Jobs wants to present it in that presentation. And yeah, so as we go into the one more things, the official ones, we'll see that some of them are extremely major product announcements that are, oh yeah, just, you know, <laughs> this is a tag on at the end of the presentation. And some of them, there were so many that some of them were kind of just afterthoughts and ones that if you ask people who follow, have followed Apple for many years, say, oh, would would you remember this particular announcement? They would go, mm, no, probably not. <laughs> but I think the first one was a pretty big announcement. This was at one year later after the uh, flippant profitability comment. This was at Macworld San Francisco 1999, and the main introduction in this event was the Power Mac G3 Tower, the uh, the blue and white one. So they've had the beige G3 desktops, and then they've had the iMac, which is this bold new way that they're going for the consumer space. What's the big pro update going to be? So that's the heart of the presentation. And then it gets towards the end of it, and this is the first time that on stage and on the slides it says one more thing. And then Jobs goes on to say, we have one more thing and we've kept it secret, which, you know, of course they have. Like <laughs> that's, that was how Apple was then and still is in many ways today. And to display this, he says, we have something new for the iMac and he shows the TV commercial, the comes in colors, yum flavor iMacs, and then brings them out on the spinning turntables. I think we talked about this in the iMac G3 episode. It really is a big culmination of the event that, you know, this is, this is like the song and dance to wrap it all up. So it it is uh, probably the biggest announcement out of that, that particular presentation. The next uh, instance of, we kind of saved this big thing for the end. Again, Steve doesn't actually say like one more thing, the, the catchphrase, but this comes at the Seabold seminar from 1999. Can you explain to me what this event was? Because this is one that kind of stuck out in the list. I think uh, Apple presented at a couple of Seabolds, which was uh, like, I think Seabold itself was some kind of uh, industry report that uh, was very specific to like desktop publishing and and the creation and distribution of media. And so every once in a while, Apple as like, you know, the Mac was famous throughout its entire classic history as being like the the choice for desktop publishing. And so Apple would have a presence there. And so in 1999, they actually had a, a big keynote uh, presentation. Steve Jobs was there. And this is where the Power Macintosh G4 was released. 
And, uh, you know, the G4, we were just coming off of Ed discussing the, uh, the G3 tower. The G4 tower in its first iteration was very similar, except it was like more muted, um, professional looking colors. It went from the blueberry to the graphite. Yeah. And, uh, but still had that kind of like aqua e translucency, uh, feel to it. And so, uh, the, the incredible stuff about the G4 and its velocity engine and everything and the new tower is discussed. And then, uh, they go over how the, Companies at that time, three monitors have been more or less cosmetically updated so that they match the same color scheme. But we had the 15 inch flat panel studio display and the like 17 and 21 inch CRTs. And uh, so like that's the end of the the introduction of the Power Mac G4, the end of the event, tying it all together. And uh, and after Steve goes through those three displays, he goes, well, what would be the ultimate companion to this uh, amazing, incredible new machine. And he announces the 22-inch flat panel cinema display, the widescreen uh, LCD that really ushered in the the flavor of Apple displays from then on. And uh, watching this video is very funny because uh, it, in very stark contrast to the five flavors of iMac announcement where they are on uh, individual sliding turntables and it's it's like the whole thing is very polished and rehearsed. Uh, Steve goes behind a desk that has the three existing monitors and, you know, there must've been another table behind it with the traditional black cloth over the cinema display. And uh, like, he's doing this, there's not someone helping him. It's not automated. And he just kind of like pushes this table that must be on wheels back out from the side of the stage and just kind of lets it glide towards the center. It's like pushing your shopping cart down the aisle in the grocery store and just kind of letting go for a little bit. (laughs) Yep. Exactly like that. He takes the cloth off, shoves it out there and lets the crowd see the cinema display. Yeah. I I mean, I guess because they were at Siebold, this third party trade show and expo, they didn't have the Apple level of control that we've become used to. You know, even at, even at something like Macworld San Francisco or Macworld New York, they had they were more of a major partner there, and I'm sure that they could dictate a lot of exactly how the space was. But they were probably one of many at the Seabold. So <laughs> Steve had to go go get the table himself. Here's another one. Still, we're still in 1999, so the pattern was established very early that this is something that you could look for in an Apple event. And this was at the special event in the fall of that year, which was all about the iMac line, updates on the iMac line, how it was doing, uh, and the operating systems that were going with it. And we mentioned this also in the iMac G3 episode, where the iMac line starts to fragment a bit at this point, because you know I think this one's getting pretty far on in the presentation, uh, about, an, about an hour in, he goes, oh, he, he tries to play it really cool here, like, oh, I forgot. There's one more thing. <laughs> and it's the iMac DV. And then he tries to play it, like, really, really cool again, that there's one last thing. So not just one more thing, but one last thing, which was the iMac DV SE. And this one what didn't go over so well. The crowd is kind of bemused, like, really? I thought that you had given us all the information on new iMacs, and there's more new iMacs and more confusing names. But then when it finally all wraps up, he kind of saves it when the actual iMac DVSE comes out and it's in the graphite color. And there's some oohs and ahs in the crowd like, oh yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good looking iMac. The next one comes from Macworld New York in 1999. 
still in 99. Uh, and this was the introduction of airport wireless networking. The main focus of this keynote and this event was the introduction of the iBook, which fulfilled and completed Steve's two by two product grid, uh, consumer, professional, portable, and desktop. The iBook was the last piece. And uh, so after the iBook part of the announcement is finished and he's gone over pricing and availability and customization, uh, the one more thing line is used and he gets one of his uh, like uh, cameramen with a, with a camera on the shoulder to follow him out. He's like, I just want to go back and uh, open a website on this iBook. But, you know, instead of doing like the demo where the screen is mirrored onto the main projection area, it's someone with a camera over his shoulder. And so there's some of Steve's trademark, like frustration was like, well, you got to get the angle right. Can we fix the lighting? It, and people need to see the display. Um, and so he, he loads Apple's website and has a little jab about how slow it loads. So he's like, okay, I'll move on to CNN. I'll go to Disney. And he's like, you know what? Let me show them over here just how great it looks. And he picks up the iBook as it's still loading the web page off of the demo table and moves it over to the center stage. And so the crowd gets what's happening now and uh, they start ooing and eyeing and applauding and he goes, oh, you noticed something. <laughs> yes, the iBook was loading uh, content over the internet wirelessly. That would have been enough for this one more thing, but no, they, they really had to go over the top after that. This gets crazy. So Steve, <laughs> uh, first the, the kind of the concept of airport is discussed for a while about how it's it's an industry standard, the 802.11. They worked with Lucent to get everything uh, not only working, but working at a at the consumer level. This is the consumer portable that it's launching in. Uh, so it's not just the airport in the iBook itself, which is a $99 card, but it's also the first base station, the little UFO-shaped device. And I forgot that the very first one had its own 56K modem in it, because some people were still just using dial-up, but maybe you wanted to get dial-up wirelessly. <laughs> um, and so there's some more theatricality about how, like, yes, this is truly wireless internet. Steve is holding a Tangerine iBook in his hand, and he's passing a hula hoop around it. So he's like, look, there's no wires getting caught on this. He's like a magician. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very much like a magician. And then the peak of this demo is Phil Schiller appears uh, <laughs> seemingly floating, Maybe, uh, how tall do you think this space is? Three stories? I, I, yeah, I would say he's probably a good 12 or 15 feet up. Near the ceiling of the, uh, the space where they're giving a presentation, off on stage right. And he has a Tangerine iBook as well, and it has an, a USB accelerometer attached to it, and it's wirelessly sending the readout from the accelerometer to a machine that's hooked up to the main display. And they bring in a giant pad for him to land on, like a movie stunt pad. <laughs> and uh, and there's like playful banter where Phil's like, all right, I'm just going to throw the iBook down. And Steve's like, no, I want you to jump with it. And <laughs> and Phil's hamming it up to the audience like, should I jump? Should I jump? And of course, I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so he does. Phil Schiller does a little movie stunt man jump onto this big thick pad holding the iBook. And you can see the accelerometer spike on uh on the main display um and what i love about this is like very much late 90s there are two instant replays in the official apple feed that we'll link to in the show notes uh both in slow motion from two different angles while phil i assume is like getting up and dusting himself off and handing the ibook to someone <laughs> that has to be one of the craziest stunts that apple itself has pulled on stage at any presentation 
I mean, they've had third-party demos that have gone really weirdly, but nothing nothing with an actual senior VP. <laughs> yeah. So now we can finally move on uh, past 1999 up to Macworld San Francisco 2000. And this is kind of an interesting one more thing because it's it's a big one and the way that it's led up to is interesting. So the one more thing, well, I guess there were two here. There's a one more thing and a one last thing. The first one is the Aqua interface. And this comes about halfway through the presentation. Yeah, I've put a note here. It's 57 minutes before the end of the presentation. <laughs> oh, one more thing. Yeah, just one one more thing and then also the rest of the presentation. <laughs> and they've been building, all, this is describing for developers, it seems like, how they're engineering OS X and all the underlying technologies, Darwin and the different foundation technologies, API layers are going over it, like Carbon and Cocoa. And it's all being presented in diagrams and schematics, and they aren't actually demoing it yet. And then the one more thing is this one more thing that goes on top of this diagram of how OS X is put together, and that one thing is Aqua. And Steve goes through a very blow-by-blow description of how they designed it, how different aspects of it look, and he has blown up images of buttons and controls, and then actually goes over to the demo itself. He also does like a little mini history of interface of both the Mac and Windows leading up to Aqua and touts how how great the Aqua interface is. And, you know, it's that it's lickable. And he also says that the design of Aqua was supposed to be great for both beginners and pros. So it's supposed to have the cues like we still have now, like the stoplight uh, widgets at the top of every window. And that's supposed to be pretty much universal. Everyone gets that red is the stop, the most destructive of those. It's close the window. Green means go. Green makes the window bigger. And so it's extremely useful for beginners. And then he kind of points to saying that the Aqua interface will also be really useful for pros. He doesn't, I I don't know exactly what he was trying to get (laughs) out there, but he says, I, I, I like the one analogy that he has here that it's, uh, he brings in an analogy from Pixar and his work there, he says, you know, it's really easy to make a movie that five-year-olds love, but it's hard to make a movie that the five-year-olds love and their parents want to see too. And like that was what Pixar was able to do. And they were trying with the design of OS X to make an operating system that was really user-friendly for beginners, but would also be great for the pros who were experienced with the Mac and wanted to push the Mac to its furthest boundaries, which I thought was pretty cool. Then the one last thing was really a one last thing. This is like two minutes from the end of of the presentation. And I think it's the longest towards the end of any of these, or like the latest in a presentation, because we have it in this video clocked in at two hours and eight minutes into the presentation. And at that point, you know, even even today, Apple's like two hours, get us out of there. So this is like over time. And the one last thing is something we've mentioned before is that when Steve dropped the I from ICEO and became no longer interim and was going to take over full day-to-day duties. And that one got a great reaction. In fact, there are chants of Steve, Steve, Steve going on in the hall for that. So definitely a good one to to save for last and get that really raucous crowd reaction. The next one is also in the year 2000, this time at Macworld New York. And this was the introduction of the Power Mac G4 Cube. 
Uh, in a previous one, I mentioned Steve's famous two by two product grid. And in this event, they had updated the iMac. They had done some consumer level software like iMovie. And uh, he comes back at the end of the presentation to his famous grid. And he's like, this is a strategy that's working very well for us. It's worked so well, in fact, that we've had time to like basically go through and refresh almost all of the things in each quadrant. Uh, but you know what? It's it's so successful, we're going to expand it. And so he adds a new column in it. So uh, in between consumer and professional, there's now some kind of middle ground. And he says, well, and I'm going to tell you, the thing we're introducing today is not a portable. So they put the little Apple logo where the, the, like, the mid-level laptop would be. It says, what is it? And there's this long thing. It was like, it's the power of the G4 with the, like, the design of an iMac, the miniaturization and the quietness of an iMac. But it's all about like its internals and the G4 processor, the RAM, uh, the airport, all the ports it, it can support. And he's like, ah, but what does it look like? And he puts up a slide of the side view of the G4 tower. And he's like, it's a quarter of this size. And he, there's like the image of four itty bitty G4 towers stacked up in a two by two grid. Um, and, and then finally we get to the fact that yes, it's an eight inch cube. Here's what it looks like. It comes out not being pushed by any human <laughs> noteworthy. Um, and it's, it's the classic G4 cube design. That's now in the museum of modern art with the, the eight inch cube suspended in the acrylic and uh, people, lose their mind over it. And, uh, it occupies that space in, uh, in the now three by two grid, uh, just for a little while before being discontinued before the grid collapsed back to its natural state of two by two. Exactly. <laughs> the next one was a product though, that really worked. And this is one of those ones where I think the presentation here is a little bit awkward because of the way that Steve jobs decides to phrase it. But this is one of those one more things that, was, I think, a complete surprise and a major product. And so this was at Macworld San Francisco 2001. The major part of the announcement was uh, updates to the G4 tower. So they were getting more and more powerful. And then there's this question again of, well, we're doing these great things with the G4 on the desktop. What about laptops? There was, has been no mention. We're getting down towards the end of this presentation. And there's one more thing, and it's the the first Titanium PowerBook. And one of the things that's the awkward part of this presentation is that he talks about the power and the sex, which is like the fact that Apple has some powerful products on the desktop, and they've had the sexy G3 laptops, but they haven't been able to combine those into a modern laptop that has the same power that they're able to deliver on the desktop. And not only are they doing that, but they're doing it in an even more sleek and sexy form factor, which was the original Titanium PowerBook. Goes into a long discourse about Titanium and how it's used to airplanes, <laughs> um, but then actually reveals the design and shows that it's the first Apple laptop to hit the one-inch thickness target and that it really is a pretty revolutionary new design, and honestly, one that pretty much informed Apple's laptop designs all the way until today. The one main transition since then has been going from multiple piece to and the titanium design to the unibody aluminum. But really, you know, get it as thin and thin as possible and rectangular. You know, we talked about this a couple episodes ago. It, it that was a big step along the way. This next event is also kind of a turning point because it's Macworld New York in 2002. 
there must not be very many Macworld New Yorks left at that point, right? Yeah, so it's 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 uh it's noteworthy for that. But uh the main focus of this presentation was the second generation of iPods, which were thinner, less expensive for comparable storage. Um the the scroll wheel is no longer a moving part. They added remotes and cases. And so we're about two thirds of the way through the entire event. Uh, the iPods have all been priced out, availability, et cetera, et cetera. And then a slide comes up that says there's one more thing with a carrot adding the word little. There's one more little thing, and it's the fact that these new iPods are also going to work with Windows. Um, you can tell that Steve is like, he's excited about the potential of this because like, obviously it's going to make the market share explode, but he's not so psyched that um, to in order to have it happen at this moment, the iPods have to sync with software called Music Match, which he does not hide his contempt for. Wasn't that a real product? I think so. From the people who brought you Real Player, some of the worst worst software that has ever crossed the internet. Absolutely. And at this point, the iPods were still interfacing with computers over Firewire. And Steve also, like, for a very little thing, he goes out of his way to say, and the Windows ones are going to include a six pin to four pin firewire adapter because their firewire ports are usually those little four pin ones like in a real snide way um so again ipods for windows was one little one more little thing as part of the main ipod announcement but then we get to the end of the event as it is and steve says wait a minute there was one more thing and he goes into the imac g4 which has been out for a little bit and is very successful that's the swivel arm form factor. Yes. And he says it's it's been very successful. We've had a couple requests from our customers, and we think we're going to address them, but by far the number one is a bigger display. So this one more thing at the event was the 17-inch iMac G4. Next, we'll move on to 2003 to Macworld San Francisco. And I think it's interesting that the previous one in 02 was the first that they started to play around with the phrasing of one more thing. So it was one more little thing, but that was actually, you know, just, it's, it's a small thing. It's, well, I think as we know, in hindsight, moving the iPod to windows and having that compatibility is probably one of the things even more than the iMac that, that saved Apple and set them on the course to being the largest company in the world. But that was just that self-deprecating little, you know, it's a little thing, but at, uh, Macworld San Francisco 2003, they have one more thing. And then again, a little carrot that says small thing, but here the small is literal because what was being added on here was the 12 inch PowerBook G4. And I think the presentation of this device is one of the better theatric moments and just the way that it's put together. And so it starts with the slide that's a top-down view of the 15-inch PowerBook G4. And then it's just perfectly lined up so that he goes to the next slide and it fades out. And basically just like half the machine disappears. But what's left in the exact same place, like the keyboard is in exactly the same place, is the 12-inch PowerBook G4. It's like, wait, let's go back. Let's see that again. Let's go back. Let's see that again. And then he actually pulls out the the device on stage, you know, the black cloth and, uh, some, some interesting historical things looking both backwards and forwards here. 
So one of the things that he says is, this is our smallest laptop ever. And he says, even smaller than the duos, if you remember those. (laughs) Which, of course, we remember. We covered those a couple episodes ago. And then... The thing that gets us now in 2016 is he's he's lifting up the machine. He's got, you know, again, someone with a camera out to show it, blow it up on and put it on the screen. Yeah, opening it, closing it, holding it over its head. And then he says, look at the look at the edge here. He says, it's got all the I.O. you could ever want and just like lists all the ports that are on the side. And, you know, but it's like we've miniaturized it, but it's got all the I.O. And, you know, here we are with 2015, 2016 with the MacBook and its single USB-C port and a headphone port. And it does not have all the IO that anyone could ever want. And people are wondering what the next generation of other Mac portables are going to have, whether they're going to have all that they could ever want or somewhat less. Moving on to the summer of 2003, we have our first instance of a one more thing at WWDC. And this keynote, WWDC 2003, was another one of those two-hour keynotes that feels pretty long. And uh, the one more thing moment comes in pretty much halfway through. (laughs) One more half of the presentation. (laughs) Like, I bet if you were there as it was happening, you're an hour in. Steve has just spent the first hour talking about Mac OS X Leopard. And if he's going to pull out the one more thing, it's probably going to be something else about maybe one more feature about the software. We'll be here for five more minutes and then we'll get out and go to the rest of the conference. Nope. Buckle up because uh, if they're going to have a new powerful operating system, why not make the leap to the next generation of powerful processors? And this one is great because I think this is maybe the first acknowledgement of like rumor sites and speculation aside from being able to keep the colored IMAX a secret. Uh, because he puts up a screenshot that had been captured on an Apple online store and spread across the internet like wildfire, where it's the product page for the G4 tower, but showing the specs of a much more powerful machine. And so Steve himself says, there's a funny thing that happened where some specifications were published on a G4 page, and they were pretty remarkable. <laughs> And he talks about how, like, internally they were trying to figure out how to address it. And he said someone at Apple called it premature specification. Um, And he goes on to say, like, well, uh, there are a wide variety of responses to seeing this screenshot. It's fake. It's real. It's just uh, great marketing. And he's like, I'm here to tell you it's real. It's the Power Mac G5. And so this takes another hour. This one more thing takes an hour to go through because it's not just the product the Power Mac G5, but it's the entirely new chip, the entirely new system architecture. And how developers would have to change their apps to cope with it. So there's a lot to get through in this one more thing. Um, And one little tidbit that comes out of this is uh, Steve's promise that at WWDC, there were like the good, better, and best configurations. And the best was a dual processor running at two gigahertz. And he says like, I stand here, IBM and Apple are promising and announcing that within 12 months, the G5 will be at three gigahertz. And uh, as we all know, that never came to pass. The next one is another unusual event, at least in terms of Apple's presentation schedule today. This was the Macworld Paris 2003 conference. So there were various Macworld expos and conferences around the world. So there are the big ones in San Francisco and then either Boston or New York. Those are the East Coast, West Coast ones. But then there was also Tokyo and apparently also Paris. 
And this was one that Steve Jobs traveled to in person and gave a full keynote presentation in English. And this one, I mean, I think this is just a factor of the audience and the fact that they didn't get to see Steve Jobs very frequently, where perhaps the WWDC or special event or Macworld audiences, they were used to seeing him every couple of years, especially the people who were there as press covering it. And so this is their one shot at getting a one more thing. And he says that he has one more thing and the crowd goes wild. There's hooting and hollering. Uh, and the one more thing, it's a pretty small one. Um, so we actually kind of glossed over this product in our last episode, which was on the mouse designs. So the thing that got all of this wild excitement was the introduction of Apple's first Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. So this is the same as the Apple Pro keyboard and the same as the Apple mouse. This was the Apple wireless mouse that sandwiched between the Apple Pro mouse, the Apology mouse, and the Mighty mouse that came afterwards. This was the first one that had the squeezy bits, uh, I think, on the side. And he goes through and describes how it works. Mm -hmm. This was an interesting feature that we should have noted last episode. It had an on-off switch, but it wasn't labeled on-off. It was actually a cover for the optical lens on the bottom. If you if you shut it so that it obviously couldn't see anything, then the mouse was off. It went into a low-power mode. And then if you uncovered it, it became active and worked again. So it's like, you know, when you throw it in your bag, make sure that it's off. I just pulled my wireless mouse out of my bag earlier today, and it was on and it was dead. <laughs> so this is a problem that Apple was solving t in 2003. And one of the things that... I thought that there was a really good uh, Steve Jobs quote in here. I also don't understand. I don't know if how many people in the audience understood it because it, you know the, much of the audience probably spoke English, but as a second language uh, at MacWorld Paris. And he says that you know, one of the really great things about this new wireless keyboard and mouse is that they decided to use Bluetooth. And he says we decided not to use a schlocky or proprietary wireless standard. Which is, you know, I mean, that's typical Steve Jobs saying like, oh, the other guys, you know, schlock products, they're, they're terrible. But I wonder how many people really understood that in the context. The next one more thing is maybe the one that actually is like, deserves the literal significance of one more thing. Like, oh, here's just another quick aside. This was Macworld San Francisco 2004. The event covered a couple things and ended with uh, like an update on how the iPod was doing. And one of the things Steve focuses on is how the iPod has about 30% of the market for MP3 players. And he says there's a big chunk of what he calls uh, premium flash-based players, the, like the upper market of the like itty-bitty Diamond Rios. And he's like, this is what we're going to go after next. So we're introducing a new product to the iPod family, the iPod Mini. I'm telling you, this is not the one more thing, but this is the end of the of the event. So he goes over the iPod mini and whenever he's using product shots and uh, whether it's like having the bullet list of features or pricing or comparing it to what already is out on the market, he's using the silver iPod mini. And so finally goes, there is one more thing. This iPod mini that I've been showing you comes in colors, but that's it. <laughs> it's the fact that it comes in colors. Moving on from the iPod mini and its colors, which was something very minor, we move on to one of Apple's larger products in physical dimensions. 
at WWDC 2004, they were introducing some new displays, uh, new hardware, as well as software announcements there as they were, you know, those are kind of mixed presentations in the past. Like whatever, whatever we got, we're going to show it to the developers first. Whereas now it's for like very software focused. And so they were showing different displays that they had. And they said on the display side, we do have one more thing. And the tagline for this part of the presentation was a huge day in the history of big, which is just an awkward, awful phrase, I think. But the big announcement was the 30-inch cinema display, which they said was the largest high-res display ever. So basically had the most pixels of any consumer computer monitor ever. And it was designed had to use special technology that they collaborated with NVIDIA on to do the graphics card and driver, because with this number of pixels, it was 4.1 million pixels on the display, you couldn't actually push the bandwidth over standard DVI, so they had to develop dual-link DVI. And people have been talking about this recently. If you listen to ATP, there was like three months of the show where all they talked about was like dual Thunderbolt to connect to a 5K external monitor, which still does not exist. As we record this, that would be really special if it exists before we release this. This is the peril of <laughs> recording just before an Apple yeah. event. Um, but so it had all of these special features packed in. It was this huge display. And the thing that I did not remember, I, I mean, I knew that the cinema displays were high priced, especially for monitors. This when the 30-inch cinema display was released, it had a retail price of $3,299 for just the display. Wow. Which is <laughs> incredible. One of the things that's interesting about this one more thing is that it's just 17 minutes into the presentation because it was this multi-part WWDC presentation. They had hardware and they had OS software and they had other software to handle all in their you know, hour and a half block. So they got rid of the hardware stuff at the beginning. So there was one more thing because it was really just one more display. And then they move on. They talk about 10.4 Tiger, developer APIs, and I think some of the iApps and Pro apps that they were also updating at the time. So it's like, we have one more thing and we definitely have the rest of the presentation too. <laughs> Moving on, we're now at uh, Apple's Becoming Regular music event in the fall of every year. And this is the music event for 2004. The one more thing is the U2 iPod. Oh, some people could have done with one less thing here, I think. <laughs> yep. Uh, this comes at the end of, because it is a music event, updates to uh, iPod accessories, the iTunes software, and the iPod line itself. Uh, most importantly, they released the fourth generation iPod, which was, I think, the iPod photo with a color display. And then, uh, then they talk about the special collaboration with the band U2 to bring their entire uh, works to iTunes in like one one-click download package that, as I think, is uh, one hundred and forty-nine dollars to be timed with the release of uh, their like their newest album. So it will include that. And so uh, we get through all of that, and Steve is gushing about how good U2 is, and, uh, and then he says, and then there is one more thing. It's a special edition iPod for you too. And this is the iPod with a black front instead of a white front and a red click wheel and uh, some special engravings on the back. Steve introduces this as the only special edition iPod in the known universe. 
but friend of the show, Stephen Hackett, has dutifully uh, written about the other lesser known special edition iPods, like the Gwen Stefani one or the Harry Potter one. Yeah, the ones that you can't even track down anymore. This was an iPod that, aside from its cosmetic differences, was completely the same as the other iPods uh, shipping at that time, but it carried a $50 price premium. Of course, included in the box was a $50 uh, coupon that could only be applied towards that complete work of U2 download, and which Steve tries to rationalize. It's like, well, if you're a U2 fan, that's why you're going to buy this iPod. And so you're probably going to want to buy the, their complete works to put on it. Oh, see, I thought that it came with it preloaded. That that even makes it more convoluted. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you really, you know, if you're going to, you're going to use the $50 coupon. So like, it's really the same price. I'm like, oh, okay. So this was at the peak time for the iPod. Uh, with the iTunes store ramping up and uh, different models of iPod, and everybody needed an iPod that suited them the best. And at Macworld San Francisco 2005, they cover the iPod, the iPod Mini, but they want to expand the product line even further and take even more market share in the digital music player industry. And in typical Steve Jobs infomercial form, he shows off some of the like weirdest, worst, crummiest of the competition in flash-based music players and says that you know they don't have click wheels, they have these crummy buttons, lousy LCD displays, they're no good, they're generally no good. So how do you fix all of this bad interface? Well, the answer is simple. One more thing, you remove it entirely. <laughs> and this is the release of the iPod Shuffle, which of course has no screen whatsoever because they discovered through usage data that everybody liked to just shuffle their entire library. So if that's really all you want to do, then you don't need a big fancy screen to read it out or select a particular song. Just head to the gym and hit shuffle, and you'll be a very happy iPod user. <laughs> so we've talked about one more thing as a trope, and probably someone is you know, counting how many times we've said the darn phrase in this episode. <laughs> trying to cut down. Uh, but this one is unavoidable because in fall of 2005, Apple actually had, you know, sometimes they have names for their events, or at least the invitation that goes out to press has uh, a tagline that the event comes to be known as. So this was, believe it or not, the one more thing event, because the invitations that went out in that fall had the uh, like a red velvet uh, theater curtain, I think was evocative of like the front row display that was part of macOS for a while. And it says one more thing. And in interestingly, this event, which was the one more thing event, had its own one more thing at the end. So they went through a whole bunch of stuff about iMac updates and uh I believe they introduced front row at this at this presentation. And then the thing that's the, the final announcement. And this is this is an interesting one because it's very, very, very almost too small of an announcement. Yet on the other hand, it's it it set the stage for things that were to come. So the the final announcement in this event is that TV shows are going to be available for purchase in iTunes. And so up to this point there was music and music videos and ringtones. And so like the longest video that you could get was, you know, 
a few minutes long, the length of a song. And so now they're expanding to hour-long TV shows, 47 minutes with the commercials out. And so much longer form video content. And where are they going to get it from? I mean, we talk about this now today with like, oh, the Apple TV, Eddie Q's working really hard. I don't know if he's going to be able to get all the content deals that they need to launch this product. So TV shows in iTunes, I had forgotten about this. They launched with one content deal. And the content deal was exclusively with ABC. And in a really funny uh, bit of kind of background of why was it ABC? Steve Jobs says, Who owns ABC? Disney. I know these guys. Of course, through his collaboration with Disney and Pixar. And I don't know at this point, had... Disney actually bought Pixar, or were they still just in their distribution deal? Regardless, there was a very close collaboration there. It's like, okay, ABC, Disney, they have a lot of properties. But at the launch of TV shows in iTunes, they launched with just five shows. Now, Steve Jobs pointed out that two of those five shows were the two most popular shows on TV in fall of 2005 which were Desperate Housewives and Lost. And I know that I was addicted to Lost at that point. And I will never get those hours of my life back. <laughs> um, the, other th- the other shows came from other Disney properties. Um, so there was That's So Raven and The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody from the Disney Channel. And then the fifth show was an ABC show called Night Stalker, which... <laughs> lasted for six episodes on ABC. Six episodes. <laughs> Had to look it up on, on on Wikipedia, and the opening sentence on Wikipedia is, Night Stalker is a television series that ran for six weeks in fall 2005 on ABC. Those six weeks coincided exactly with the One More Thing event. So it was in September, and by October, the show was done. I guess they had produced 10 episodes, and they were released to DVD later. That was it. So really, they launched with four shows and the the biggest surprise there was they were pushing this as the reason that it was added on to this event was that they had just recently i think maybe even in this event announced the ipod video so you could actually sync video to your ipod and take it with you made sense for music videos because you might i don't know you might want to see the music video for a song that you had in your library uh but here you could actually sync over the full episode, so you would download them in iTunes. And Steve says, well, you need broadband for this, and depending on your broadband, we expect that it'll take 10 to 20 minutes to download an episode. Then you plug in your cable, and you sync it over to your iPod, and you get it on your iPod in 240p quality. (laughs) He says, high resolution takes full advantage of the beautiful iPod video screen 240 by 320. So low quality SD video for $1.99 an episode. And it seems like, it seems like so little (laughs) in retrospect. Like this is, this is not even one more thing. This is nothing (laughs) except for the fact that it started that infrastructure for video on the iTunes store, which still persists today. And now, you know, HD episodes are $2.99 an episode, which is probably too much. They should probably be $1.99 an episode like it was at launch for this. But you can sit down in front of your fourth-generation Apple TV 
pull out the remote and, you know, buy an episode right there. And that's what this was looking forward to. But it was so far back that it's a surprise that not only did they announce it, but it was in the coveted final position. Moving on, the next major one more thing is at Macworld San Francisco in 2006. And this was a pretty major keynote. The highlight, of course, was the very first Mac powered by Intel processors, the iMac with a core duo. Um, so everyone I think is, is riding high because, you know, like it's, it's the transition is starting. There are real results. Uh, the, the Mac line isn't suffering in terms of performance or, uh, high prices. So everyone feels good. Steve, you know, does his fake out that like, thank you for coming. This is what we've talked about today, but there is one more thing before he even starts to talk about what it might be. Everyone starts going nuts. Cause I think they have an idea of, of where it's going. It ended up being the MacBook pro, the first Intel powered laptop, and really the first substantial update to the Mac line of professional laptops in a while. Uh, because as Steve himself alludes to in the opening of the segment, Apple had been openly trying to get a G5 processor into their professional laptops for a long time. He even puts up a, a picture of the Pope and said, we have consulted every possible high authority. And uh, the the crowd is like right in the palm of his hand. They're laughing at his jokes. They're applauding for everything. Uh, when he starts going over the design of the MacBook Pro and he highlights that there is an eyesight camera built in uh, right above the display. Oh my God, this is some of the loudest applause I've heard uh, in researching all of these keynotes. Um, and then he even gets into the MagSafe breakaway power cord. That's an applause break. Uh, it's like the state of the union in there. Um, <laughs> this one more thing was definitely very well received. So if that one set a record for the best reaction later in 2006, I think set the record for the most more things in a single presentation, which was at the music event uh, in fall of 2006. And the bulk of the presentation was about the release of iTunes 7 and many improvements to the store there. So I'd mentioned that poultry offering of TV shows at launch. In a year, it's grown to 220 distinct shows. So that really was just like a seed of, of what they, they wanted to have there. And then the next step for that, which was the first more thing, <laughs> it doesn't really work. Um, the first thing was going not just from TV shows, but to movies. So increasing the length of video content again. And this is another Disney only deal. Uh, but they have a lot more movie studios than they did television production. So it's with four different movie studios that are under the Disney umbrella and launched with 75 different movie titles. So a fairly decent library. And Steve Jobs rattles off some of the titles. And, you know, they were like blockbuster and highly acclaimed movies. So he goes through that. And then, oh, wait, there's one last thing, which is, well, if you want to watch movies, you don't want to watch them in 240p on your iPod. Not really. You want to watch them on your television. And how is that going to happen? This is an interesting one because it's a preview. It's not a product announcement. It's a pre-announcement. Because, in fact, it's called iTV. And we know that this became the Apple TV because, basically, they weren't allowed to get the rights to use the name iTV for the product for various different 
intellectual property trademark reasons. And there's even, I think on one of the slides, like he puts an asterisk, like asterisk, internal name of this project only, not necessarily the final name, because clearly legal advised them on that. Like, this is only a working title for this. And you can present it as a working title, but we can't market it this way until we have secured the rights. Uh, but for it being a preview, it's pretty robust, shows the actual device, shows all the ports on the back, I think 10 or 11 ports on the back of the thing, all of your different audio output standards, HDMI component, uh, optical audio out, uh, and says that you know, for your iPod, you have to sync over the movie with a cord, but for the iTV, you're going to be able to sync it over Wi-Fi. Which was not how it worked in the end, was it? You had one of the first generation Apple TVs, right, Brian? Very briefly, because it was a terrible experience. Uh, you had it was basically like an iPod that had to be loaded. Yeah, and he said, you know, you could you will be able to load it over your home network as opposed to having to like plug it in like the iPod. But still, it was not a great experience. But it does did show off some of the initial Apple TV interface, which persisted. Uh, for several more generations, you know, the general look and feel, the the black with the sort of blue highlights on on menu items, very iPod-like interface in terms of the menu hierarchy and that. And then the final thing, because this was a music event, one of the things that Apple likes to do, especially at the music events, is to bring in a musical guest at the end. And the musical guest at the end of this particular event was John Legend, but he was also introduced with the one more thing catchphrase. And I think that this is perhaps the only non-product that was introduced with that phrase. So he is uh, has earned a special place in the Apple presentation pantheon uh, for that. And, that, you know, that was another one of these that's like right at the end of right at the end of the show, you know, two minutes left. Here he is. He's going to play one song and then everybody go home. Moving on to the summer of 2007, WWDC. Uh, this is, of course, the summer uh, the iPhone is about to be available in stores, uh, but the bulk of this presentation was about the upcoming Leopard OS. Uh, so the presentation in total is about an hour and a half, and Leopard took about a full hour. And then it wraps up, and uh, Steve makes it sound like, yeah, we've, we've discussed a lot here today. There is one more thing. Uh, part of our operating system is our own web browser, Safari. Leopard is going to include Safari 3.0. The one more thing is that it's also going to be released for Windows, specifically Windows XP and Windows Vista. And so we go over uh, how Safari on Windows is much better than Internet Explorer or Firefox. And the thing that stands out is they have their kind of like browser shootouts with uh, a bunch of pages loading in the same order. And it's it's happening on a PC running Windows and so the like Internet Explorer and Firefox have native Windows UI elements. And I forgot that Apple just kind of like forced their interface in their apps uh, that you can see the Aqua E widgets and scroll bars. Um, you can see that everything is in Apple's uh, system font, the Lucida Grand at that time. Uh, so like not only does it stand out for the, the difference in performance, which is what Steve is you know trying to emphasize, but also it just looks very different. Yeah, iTunes for Windows still does that today. So the the iTunes UI, the entire window on on Windows operating systems looks basically like it does on the Mac. 
And every once in a while, like one of my colleagues at work who's on a Windows box will have iTunes open and like have it full screen for some reason. And I look over and I do like a double take, like, wait, did, did you replace your Windows computer with a Mac? <laughs> no, you're just running iTunes. And so after wrapping up about Safari, it really does seem like the the presentation is over. And Steve Jobs says, there is one last thing. And he's like, I got to talk about the iPhone, right? You all, you all are developers. We are about to release this entirely new platform. Uh, so I'm going to talk about developing for the iPhone. Here it comes. <laughs> Everyone is anticipating some kind of SDK, some kind of native APIs. No, it's what Steve Jobs calls the sweet solution. And we all know what John Gruber called it. Yep. Another two S word. We're going to leave that out for our clean tag. <laughs> yeah. It's the ability to use web technologies, HTML, JavaScript, CSS, because the iPhone has a full desktop class Safari. That's how you're going to do it. Scott Forstall comes out and shows an example of some kind of uh, internal company directory that they built, which it, it is, it's a web app. But he's like, look at this. Like if I tap on a phone number, it will dial the number on the phone. <laughs> And things like that. Uh, yeah, this was uh, not received well, certainly after the fact. Maybe people are still just excited to see iPhone stuff at that point that the, the immediate response was tepid. Moving on from the iPhone, we're now in the iPhone era. And the music event in 2007, the big reveal there was that Steve Jobs said in the original iPhone introduction that it was the best iPod ever. Well, what about having a standalone best iPod ever? And that is, of course, the iPod Touch first generation. And this was an, a kind of a nice lead up because they were showing the uh, they were showing screenshots of the iPod Touch interface on the screen throughout the presentation. And interestingly, the dock on those screenshots had just three icons. And unlike in iOS today, where if you remove one of the icons from the dock, which you can do, the remaining icons center, in these screenshots, they were over to the left, like really indicating like there's a blank spot here. And so the one more thing is he said, did you notice that there's just a blank spot there in the dock? Why would we leave a blank spot there in the dock? Ah, no, we have something to fill that. And that was the iTunes Wi-Fi Music Store, as it was known then, to emphasize the fact that you know, this was on the iPod Touch and it only had Wi-Fi. But it was the first time that you were able to wirelessly load music to a... Well, I guess maybe not the first time you were able to wirelessly load music to an iPod, but the first time that you could actually purchase it on the device using your Wi-Fi connection to the store and the built-in capabilities of what was known then as iPhone OS. And this got a really great reaction. And I think that people saw that, you know, just the amount of friction that it removed and the fact that, wow, you could actually just, I want to listen to a particular song. And as long as you're in some place with Wi-Fi, you could actually go and just for a dollar have it instantly. That was going to be a huge shift in how people got their music and listened to music. And of course, that's kind of presaging streaming the era that we're in now where it's like i don't even have to purchase the song i just have to think of the song and give it to me give it to me apple music give it to me spotify uh so this was the first first product that sort of knocked down that barrier keeping in the theme with uh iphone and iphone os the next event we'd like to talk about is a one-off 
iPhone software roadmap event. I did not remember this event at all. <laughs> this was the spring of 2008, I think, after Apple realized not only that uh, their so-called sweet solution wasn't in fact so sweet, but the fact that they were about to just open maybe the biggest software platform in history if they truly unlock native apps for iPhone OS, later named iOS. So this was an event, uh, again, in the spring of 2008, uh, a little before the kind of yearly release cycle, the iPhone 3G had not been announced yet. That was going to come later at WWDC. So this is really just about the forthcoming version 2.0 of the iPhone OS, which would have an SDK for native apps. It's a, it's a pretty standard event. Um, and then it's, it's wrapping up. Steve's going over not only the SDK, but what the app store will be and what it will look like. And then he says, there is one more thing. And then he basically cedes control of the stage to someone else. He doesn't tell you what the thing is. Uh, this is John Doerr, a partner at Kleiner Perkins Caulfield and Byers. <laughs> so not even an Apple employee. That's pretty unique. And uh, Mr. Doerr comes out on stage to announce the iFund, a $100 million, basically like venture capital fund within KPCB that is going to try and kickstart a bunch of companies that want to do great things on this forthcoming uh, iOS, iPhone OS platform. And uh, he doesn't have the charisma of Steve Jobs. The The material itself is a little dry because it is just a, a venture capital fund that will be dedicated towards uh, software on iOS. But uh, reading between the lines of his presentation, it's clear that he does understand what is coming when uh, developers are going to be allowed to write native software for this device. Uh, he gets it like $100 million. I think he says something like, it's enough to start four Googles or like 12 Amazons. Uh, so maybe that's a lot, but like there will be entire companies uh, born out of the desire to create software for this. Kind of cool to see in retrospect. The next one more thing gets back more towards the uh, the heart of what Apple is going for in these you know, just straight up product announcements. And so this is at the special event in fall of 2008. And the additional thing here is the Unibody MacBook. So they're doing a lot of hardware revisions in this event. And this is really just pointing out that the pro features are finally starting to push down into the consumer space that people have been really happy with the plastic white plastic MacBook. And Steve Jobs says, we think we're going to sell a lot more of these. We're not getting rid of them, but everybody wants, everybody wants the pro, but can't afford the pro. So what can we do to bring some of, you know, the cachet of the aluminum enclosure down to the basic level? And that's the unibody MacBook. I think this was a town hall event. So, uh, you know, just sort of polite applause, you know, or just typing on keyboards because it's all journalists. Um, so this was a rather understated uh, entry in the uh, one more thing list. The next entry is a little weird because it's not only playing off of the coy deception that one more thing implies, but it also has like further misdirection about what the product is. This takes place at the 2009 fall music event during which uh Steve and Phil Schiller go over the updates to the iPod line. They talk about the new iPod Touch, uh, the new iPod Classic or whatever. The main one. And the uh, the third generation Shuffle, uh, the one without any buttons. And uh, and so they've like pretty much gone through it. And we know that the iPod Nano, the, the huge seller, hasn't been mentioned. So when Steve says, 
there is one more thing. We're like, ah, it's going to be the iPod Nano. It does turn out to be the new fifth generation iPod Nano, but Steve introduces it as what we're going to do is take notice of these uh, little handheld cameras with solid state storage, like the flip video camera, and we're going to make one. Um, and so he does this thing was like the flip video camera is like uh, 149 bucks, got about four gigs of storage and he goes to the next slide. It's just a white rectangle on the traditional like dark gradient. And he says, we're going to make one with eight gigs of storage and we're going to make it free. And people are like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, right. Apple's really turning over a new leaf. No, what we're doing is we're building in a camera with a microphone and, and speaker for playback of similar quality to these standalone flip cams into the new iPod Nano. So you're going to pay for a new iPod Nano and you're going to get the camera for free and it's going to have eight gigs of storage. That was seven years ago. It, it seems crazy that that was the state of the art in portable video technology at the time, given that we've got, you know, like 4K video in our pockets with the iPhone now. Right. Oh, so the next one. This is this is perhaps the most infamous moment in Apple keynote history. WWDC 2010. The main event was the introduction of the iPhone 4 and the radical new technology of the Retina display. So lots to talk about there. And throughout, just in the midst of that, at some point, Steve Jobs asks everyone in the hall to turn off their Wi-Fi. And they're like, uh, Steve, we're live blogging. Like, this is our living here. We're not turning off our Wi-Fi. Gets through the whole presentation, says, we have one more thing, and I really want you to turn off your Wi-Fi. So, <laughs> of course, nobody did. And this was the introduction of FaceTime, which is, of course, Apple's video conferencing over, well, now over any internet connectivity. But then at, at that point, only over Wi-Fi. And for some reason... Whatever it was about the system that they were using at the time, it was extremely fragile and prone to interference, and they wanted it to really work. And nobody was turning off their Wi-Fi, and it did not work properly, and Steve was very angry. <laughs> and it was one of just like kind of like the ugliest incident in uh, Apple presentation, because like I don't think that Steve Jobs ever got so flustered as in that moment. It's like, you, you guys are ruining this. Um, but of course, FaceTime, FaceTime worked like the technology worked. The demo didn't work as flawlessly as they had hoped, but it's still around today and working pretty well. Steve is clearly frustrated at the, the Wi-Fi thing. And you, you have to remember also this keynote was basically, uh, like upstaged because Gizmodo got an iPhone four and published about it. And Steve had to you know, address that at the top of the event too. So it's just like, it seems like frustration after frustration for him at WWDC. Yeah, not a good look. We're getting down to the last few things here, Brian. There are just, you know, a couple, one more things. The next one comes later in 2010 at their fall music event. And this is another one where one more thing is a known trope by now. So Steve says, we have one more thing at the end of this music event. And he's like, well, no, it's one more hobby. And this is a cue to most of the people in the audience uh, that it's about the Apple TV, which has been consistently referred to in official Apple language as their hobby product line. And uh, Steve kind of talks about this. He's like, yeah, our, our Apple TV has been out for about four years. It's never really been a huge hit. 
uh, like people who use it and love it. Like they have a great appreciation for it. Uh, but people <laughs> have a lot to say about it. I think namely the fact that like it wasn't, it didn't work like a TV. You had to kind of plan it. You would have to load it up with the content you wanted to watch on your TV instead of just plopping down on the couch and turning it on. So they completely rethought the second gen Apple TV, uh, not only in the product uh, appearance, which was very different, the little black puck that we're all familiar with now, a quarter of the size of the first Apple TV, but also the model for how it worked. It was now streaming services, whether it was streaming content from the Macs in your home, AirPlay from your phone or iPod Touch, or from major networks and content providers. Uh, So it was one more hobby that uh, Apple has seen grow into a, a core tenant of its business. Later in fall of 2010 was another special event, small one, that was to do with hardware updates. And the final thing in this event was the introduction of the second generation of MacBook Air. So Steve's talking about the fact that they now have three product lines. They have the Mac and the iPhone and the iPad, and that they can all learn things from each other, and that features can be developed on one, mature, move to the other, and improve each other. And uh, the second generation MacBook Air is an important product because, as we know, the first generation MacBook Air wasn't very good. Like It was revolutionary in its size and weight, but it was underpowered, had that spinning tiny iPod hard drive in it, had the awkward port door, And so this was totally revamping the MacBook Air design and is the one that basically still sells today. And it's a big question mark today as we record this, probably still a big question mark when we release it, as to whether that design is, how long that design is going to persist. But it's definitely held up for six years. And (laughs) the, the weird line from this one is he's saying, you know, we can learn things from combinations of these product lines. And Steve says... That the second generation MacBook Air is the answer to the question, what would happen if a MacBook and an iPad hooked up? <laughs> it's got the power and the sex. And that brings us to the final use of one more thing from Steve Jobs. This happened at WWDC 2011, which was also his last major keynote presentation. Um, that WWDC focused on three big things, the the updates to iOS, the updates to macOS, and then Steve's presentation of iCloud, the first major reveal of iCloud. And he went last. And so he's he's doing his wrap up. We've, we've heard about three big things today. Uh, the last being iCloud and how all these things are, are moving towards uh, the centralized I, the cloud services. There is one more thing. And people start like, what? Okay, yeah. And, and he, he like makes the little like, I'm pinching your face thing. He's like, no, calm down. <laughs> it's one more small thing. Because <laughs> I think like, you know, where, where could it go from there? Because this one more thing was simply iTunes Match. The ability to move your iTunes library into the cloud in a simple way where if your songs you've ripped uh, – match up with songs in Apple's database. You don't have to actually upload it. They'll just, you know, match it up. Um, (laughs) So yeah, at $24.99 a year for just basically like kind of having your iTunes library backed up in the cloud, including the ones that weren't in the store. uh, He's like, no, calm down. It's not as big a deal as you want it to be. 
it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's a good service. So that was the final thing from Steve Jobs. But there have been a couple more in the past few years. Well, five years now. We're five years of Tim Cook's tenure as CEO at Apple. But in that time, you know, we had some of those years, like 1999, we had, what, four separate events with, with One More Things. We've only had a couple since then. And I think that, you know, out of, out of respect, that that was, that was part of Steve Jobs' presentation style. And it wasn't really an Apple presentation style. It was particular to him. And they didn't want to just carry on with it. So, but th- there came a point where people in the Apple community wanted something to be the one more thing, especially as they remembered the big things on that list that we just went through, the ones that actually turned out to be groundbreaking huge projects and products for Apple. And in fall of 2014, at that Apple event, Tim Cook is leading the presentation, and finally he gets to announce after several product introductions that there is one more thing at that announcement. And at this point, unlike that first one, it was not so secret Everybody was anticipating that Apple was going to have a wearable product, probably a watch. And so when Tim Cook says this, he gets a big smile on his face, huge cheers, big reaction from the crowd. And then they cut to the Apple Watch introduction video. And he kind of moseys off stage while that happens, puts one on, and then comes back out on stage like triumphantly with his fist in the air showing the watch off to the crowd, and it's a huge, huge reaction. And I think that was appropriate. You know, people have talked about the viability of the watch in in the past two years, but that was something that I think, you know, Tim Cook felt like that was a product that was justified in having that nod to Steve Jobs. Like, this is this is something that we're really proud of. Yeah, I, I just would echo everything you said there. It's, it's kind of a, a nice tender moment. The fact that he, this is the first time in over three years that one more thing has been used in a presentation. And I think you're exactly right. It's like out of respect for Steve and his presentation style, Tim Cook gets to say it, but then he doesn't hog the stage to, to use the energy coming off of it. It's a product video. Uh, and, and the smile on his face that like, this is the first major product under his regime uh, it, people are going wild for it. It's clearly a personal thing cause he's very into fitness and he's wearing it. The, the triumphant arm in the air. Yeah. It was a good moment. Then nine months later, they ruined it <laughs> <laughs> at WWDC 15, widely known as one of the worst Apple presentations in recent history. The one more thing there was of course a big product, but it's Apple music and the, the presentation had gone on too long already. And then Eddie Q started dancing. And it did not get a very good reaction. The product itself got mixed reviews after that. I think Apple Music has hit its stride now, but uh, n- kind of a real polar opposite to the the triumphant moment of Tim Cook with the Apple Watch just less than a year prior. Yeah, I really don't have anything to, to add to that. Those are all the things. Those are all the one more things. But it's interesting. So in our show notes, we're gonna we're gonna link to all of these. Uh, it's really great that we were able to find videos for pr- basically everything. And uh, what's even better is we have the the time-coded links to YouTube. So you can jump right to the One More Thing segments for 
all of these different events, which is a, a really nice collection to have together. One of the things that you see going through it is you see the progression of Apple presentations. You also see, unfortunately, the progression of Steve Jobs' health. Uh, you know, it's kind of visible as you go from 99 to, uh, you know, 99 all the way through 2011 in the span of just a few minutes. Uh, but one of the things I found was interesting is that in many but not all of the presentations, one more thing is put up on the screen as a single slide by itself. Uh, and and that's part of the trope. It's not just that the line is spoken on stage. And Apple presentations seriously evolved over this time. Um, one thing that remains standard is the default gradient keynote theme. Um, even from the pre-keynote days, uh, that was... That was the way that all Apple presentations have looked, and they they maintain that. And I think that's a really good example of kind of like dog fooding that that's the still the default presentation style in in Keynote. And they're like, yeah, we're going to use that for our four thousand seater big product announcement. Uh, it's it's the default, and it's good enough for us. But the thing that has changed over top of that is the fonts that they have used, and other styles that have come and gone in Keynote. And so I, I count that the the words one more thing have appeared in, I think, six different fonts over the course of time. The very first one was actually an Apple Garamond. Then uh, there were the like more like handwritten fonts. There was one in Marker, Marker Felt. There were some in One Stroke Script. Then there's a period in the middle there where there's a sans serif font that I cannot identify. So if listeners, if you can, you know, go to the show notes, click through on some of those links, tell us what is this font. Then in the OS 10 era, they went to Lucida Grand, or is it Grande? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, for Tim Cook's first one, the 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 Apple Watch, one more thing, it's uh, Helvetica Noia. So all the way through the the evolution of the Apple branding has gone along and the presentation style has gone right along with the things that they are introducing. But that's it for this episode. We do not have one more thing for you. But again, if you would like to share anything about your favorite keynotes and their one final things with us, or if you can't identify that font, feel free to get in touch with us. You can use a contact form on our website, simplebeep.com, or you can find us on Twitter at simple underscore beep. Yeah, especially if we actually missed any of the things. We, we would love to know, but we think we've got a comprehensive list. So yeah, shoot us a tweet if you, uh, if you find one of those. Of course, you can find us individually on Twitter as well. I'm at ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. And I'm at bsuto, B-S-U-T-O. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.